Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio. Who is January Jones? She is not a young, beautiful, talented actress on Mad Men. She is not an older, gorgeous, exotic dancer from the Johnny Carson Show. She is an author, and she wrote, Thou Shall Not Wine, the 11th Commandment, that reached number one at Amazon.com. She is a reality TV golf personality with World High Stakes Golf televised on HDNet. She is a humorist and winologist expert. She is your featured host today on January Jones Sharing Success Stories. So sit back, relax, and get ready to laugh and listen to Ms. Jones with her eclectic roster of guests as you learn life's lessons. These stories plus sharing equals success. Welcome and remember, beware because you are entering the no-whining world of January Jones. Now my listeners know that I usually start my show with a question. However, today I'm going to start the show with an answer. And the answer is, love is the answer. Now you may ask, what is the question? (laughs) Guess what? Love is the answer to everything. Tell me, can you imagine a world without love? Tell me, do you know how important love is to all of us? Have you ever heard about a book called Love, Magic, and Mud Pies? Or better yet, Would you like to meet someone who has some of the answers that we've been looking for? Now, are you ready to learn how to be successful and how to learn about love? If you can answer yes or maybe to any of these questions, then you are in the right place. And I would like to welcome you to January Jones Sharing Success Stories. Today I will be introducing you to my guest who's been on the show many times and he's a success coach extraordinaire. He will provide us with wonderful, informative and inspirational lessons and some really, really great advice about love and life. I'm pleased to announce that our show now has over 1.7 million listeners to date, and LinkedIn LinkedIn has announced that my profile was one of the top 5% most viewed during 2012. Now, let me tell you a little bit about my guest tonight. For many, as his name is Dr. Bernard Siegel, or Bernie as he prefers to be called, he needs no introduction. He has touched many lives all over the planet. In 1978, he reached a national and then international audience when he began talking about patient empowerment and the choice to live fully and die in peace. As a physician who has cared for and counseled many people whose mortality has been threatened by illness, Bernie embraces a philosophy of living and dying that stands at the forefront of the medical ethics and spiritual issues our society grapples with today. I am pleased to welcome back to our show, Bernie Siegel. Hi, Bernie. How are you doing? Okay. 
I got a question for you. Yes. Because you talk about wine all the wine. time. Wine. <laughs> yeah. what, what's the favorite Jewish wine? The favorite Jewish wine. Oh, my gosh. That's a, oh, I'm not Jewish, so I don't think I know that one. <laughs> oh, well, it's, I'm chilly, and I want to go to Florida. <laughs> so my wife used to do, you know, like a female Henny Youngman. Oh, that yeah. That was one of her lines. But, oh, uh, how fantastic. It was a lot of good stuff. Uh, well, you know, anyway, go ahead now. <laughs> well, we're gonna we're gonna talk about love, mm-hmm. and love is the answer. And I I love this chapter of your book. I I have your book, Love, Magic, and Mud Pies, by my bedside. I read it all the time. Um, let's talk about kids who feel like they're the ugly ducklings. And I mm. think everyone has had that feeling. Don't you agree? Well, I really was an ugly duckling. You were? <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, this is seriously. My mother was um, had a, a medical illness and was told not to become pregnant because she could threaten her own life with the stress uh-huh. of the pregnancy. Okay. But, you know, Grandma wants a grandchild. So she convinced my mother to go ahead and uh, also supported her. I mean, I, I don't mean she just said, take a chance, but mm-hmm. um, she watched over her and really cared for her. But my mother <clears throat> went into labor and nothing happened. I mean, she was in labor for a week or more. I mean, she oh said God. she just lay in the hospital screaming and tearing up the bed sheets. And the doctor came in and said, you can't survive a cesarean section. We've got to get him out of there. They pulled me out. And then, and by the way, I didn't hear this till I was an adult. I had no idea about any of this because uh-huh. in our family album, there are pictures of a covered carriage. But, <laughs> you know, I assumed I was sleeping. But my mother said they didn't hand me a child. They handed me a purple melon. Those are oh her exact gosh. words. Uh-huh. And she said, when they allowed you to leave the hospital, we wrapped you in kerchiefs, put you in a carriage, covered it in kept you behind the house so we wouldn't upset anybody. I said, then why am I not a drug addict or an alcoholic? And let me say this, just interrupt my story, that Harvard students were asked, did your parents love you? Those who said no, 98% had suffered a major illness by middle age. Those who said yes, only 25%. So, you know, that love makes an enormous difference in terms of the child feeling worthy and then taking care of themselves. You know, if you're worth something and feel loved, well, mm-hmm. go into an assisted living facility, 80, 90, 100-year-olds. Say, did your parents love you? And 90% of them say, sure, of course. What are you talking about? Mm-hmm. I say, that's why you're all here and alive that's today. Why, yeah. you know? In high school, you ask that question, you get the opposite result. I mean, mm-hmm. 70% of high school students have considered suicide. Wow. You know, they don't know how to end what's killing them so they kill themselves and that, that's the tragic you know you read about all this violence it's all about rejection and i mean that literally sure. uh, that's when you go out and kill our kids what? rescue living things all the time they wouldn't hurt anything but let me get back to my childhood for a minute mm-hmm. i said you know why am i not a drug addict an alcoholic sure. if nobody was touching me um, yeah and she said oh my mother took you poured oil all over you, and pushed everything back where it belonged five and six times a day. That, you see, just changed everything for me. 
I knew sure. then that I felt like the most loved kid on the planet. Mm-hmm. I don't know what I look like, but I know that somebody mm-hmm. who loves me is massaging me every few hours. And what we know from studies is that when you do that to a child, they gain weight faster and the brain develops faster from all that mm-hmm. contact and touch. And well, you know, you know, Bernie, all children at some point in their life feel like ugly ducklings between the braces and the acne and all of the social situations. What's the best thing a parent can do to help their kids get through that ugly, ugly duckling stage that they all well, go through? To know that they are loved. See, not rejected because they're ugly, but mm-hmm. that they're loved. And to help them quiet their mind. This is why that's the story, the ugly duckling. Mm -hmm. This is a quote from a patient of mine. My mother's words were eating away at me and maybe gave me cancer. Because the first few years of your life, your parents' words are hypnotic. You're a failure. You embarrass us. This woman's mother only dressed her in dark colors so nobody would notice her. Mm -hmm. I mean, she had to get cancer to go buy a red dress and start a new life. But... You see, if your mind is quiet, and that's why the story of the ugly duckling, the myth, the mother throws him out of the house. You don't look right. You don't fit in with your siblings. Get out of here. But he doesn't walk out like my patient and say, that rotten woman, look what she did to me. I'm ugly. I'm a... So one day he's sitting on a spill pond, and he sees some swans. Mm-hmm. And, oh, boy, I wish I were a swan. But then he looks down into the still water, and what does he see? I am a swan. But, you see, if he were living in turbulence, he would never see his beauty. He'd keep seeing the ugly duckling. Mm -hmm. So that's something I try to get across to people. Quiet your mind. You know, if you're walking around resenting and bitter, and it's never going to happen. But if you quiet your mind, and Joseph Campbell talked about it in a similar story where a tiger, his mother dies and goats raise him. And another tiger comes along and says, hey, stupid, you're not a goat. What, what are you doing here? And he takes him again to a still pond and says, see, you're a tiger. And Campbell says it's like yoga, meditation. You know, you quiet your mind, you see your true self. Uh-huh. And I think yeah. that's what people have to do. It's not about what others said. It's... Take a look in that mirror. I tell right. people to create a shrine around their house of pictures of themselves as a child. Uh-huh. Now, well, I also a... have people say, my parents never took a picture of me. I can oh. show you our house. Okay, then take some pictures of you now and put them yeah. up. Sure. Because, yeah. I mean, the stories I hear, see, a woman has cancer. I said, what are you experiencing? Failure. How does that fit your life? Oh, my parents committed suicide when I was a child. I must have been a failure as a child. And I meet people whose parents told them to commit suicide, and their parents did. And, you know, they're the only member of the family left because everybody else did kill themselves. They didn't Mm -hmm. do it right. You Mm -hmm. know, that kind of thing, as crazy as it sounds. But, you know, if you grow up with the love, you can manage criticism. Mm -hmm. You see, then it becomes what I call coaching. Somebody criticizes you, you can say thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I won't make that mistake again. I'll, you know, do it better next time. Yeah. And I always say that the best doctors are criticized by patients, nurses, and family because they're telling them how to do it better. They know you're listening. See, that's the good sign about criticism. 
If you don't listen to people and you always make excuses, they stop criticizing you. Why? Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. it's useless. Yeah. You know, yeah. you didn't do it right. Oh, no, it's your fault. It wasn't me. It's your behavior. It's the way you act. I've never had a patient like that before, you see. And you so know, I've you know, Bernie, you write about you write about do what will make you happy. Right. And you write that children want to please their parents, but a smart parent knows it's more important for children to make choices that please themselves. This Let is your heart make up your mind. That's, yes. Yeah. See, my mother would always say to me, "Do what will make you happy." Now, let me say uh-huh. this: children don't always want to please their parents for healthy reasons. Uh You have identical twins. One sister is a little devil, you know, drives everybody crazy now and then, doing her thing. The other sister internalizes her anger, Mm -hmm. tries to please her parents all the time. Who is more likely to get breast cancer? The good Mm -hmm. girl. Mm -hmm. So, Yeah. yeah, it's one thing to please your parents, but not he who seeks to save his life will lose it. So you trying to make them happy, you lose your life to be what they want. And that's tragic. So, you know, mm-hmm. become what you want. Do what makes you happy. And, oh, I mean, I'm sorry, but I, I just keep thinking, you know, I know children with teenagers who have committed suicide when mm-hmm. their parents have said, you have to stop all this volunteer work. Your grades went from an A to a B. Now, <laughs> this kid put a gun to his head and killed himself. Oh, my gosh. Now, why didn't he say to his parents, screw you. I love yeah. doing this volunteer work. Uh-huh. You know, so what if I get a B? Um, no, but he went to school and killed himself. And wow. that's, you see, again, the tragic part. I tried to teach the kids, eliminate what's killing you, not yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and be what I call a love warrior because one of the kids who really oh boy he called me he had AIDS this is a number of years ago and I was trying to help him survive he, I mean why did he have AIDS he was sexually abused by mm-hmm. his parents and all their friends and he called me and said you know I'm going to commit suicide oh dear I said Tony wait a minute I can get you a gun I know people in New York and we can kill your parents <clears throat> I never forget his answer. He said, no, I never want to be like them. Oh, Boy, oh God. <laughs> that blew my mind. You know, yeah, that this, sure. now the nice part, so people know what happened, he went, he said, I want to jump in front of the A train. We're going to go down the subway station. But the train didn't show up. It was late for some reason. So there are angels. And he called the uh-huh. suicide hotline, and they came and rescued him. Mm-hmm. He said, I didn't know what to do. I'm in the station. And there's no train. I mean, to me, that's not a coincidence, if you know what I mean. Absolutely. uh, You know, Bernie, we're going to take a break and hear about your host. And when we come back with Bernie Siegel, I want to talk a little bit about childhood memories and Mm. how to send love letters to your kids, how to help your kids get through life. We'll be right back with Bernie Siegel. Have you ever met someone who was unforgettable, someone who has touched your heart and soul, people who have faced difficult problems, people who fearlessly shared their stories, people who have priceless personalities? I've been fortunate to host a talk show called January Jones Sharing Success Stories, and it's been my privilege to interview hundreds of guests. In my new ebook, we're talking about people dealing with problems such as incest, molestation, child abuse, drug abuse, 
and even polygamy. Then there are my guests dealing with physical struggles such as blindness, cancer, and birth defects. All of my guests have been exciting, eclectic, and energizing. I look forward to sharing them with you in my new ebook, Priceless Personalities, Success Stories Shared by January Jones. The introductory offer of $4.99 is now available at Amazon.com. Order it today. Welcome back with my wonderful guest, Bernie Siegel, who is truly a priceless personality in my life, and I'm so pleased to be able to share him with my listeners again. Bernie, let's talk about childhood memories. You know, the older I get, it seems like the more the memories come back, I don't know if they come back to haunt me or help you. What are your thoughts? Well, it can be either way. Um, I always say that, you know, the day you decide you're ready to die, tell your family to tell stories about you. Mm-hmm. And your hope is that they'll remember the humorous ones and you die laughing, as my father literally <laughs> did. But, yeah. you know, if it's all about woundedness and negativeness, you know, alcoholic parents, abusive parents, uh-huh. uh, that is just so traumatic because literally our, our, our life is stored in our bodies. When I say that, I mean you transplant organs. You, you again, people wake up and have memories of the person whose organ has been put into them. Really? So, yes. Oh, yes. I mean, there are plenty of books about that. Uh-huh. But it's so we have to remember that our life is stored within us, and it has to be dealt with. That that if you try to keep a lid on it, you're hurting yourself, uh-huh. and, and you'll end up with a sicker body and life then if you uncover it, bring it out, resolve it, abandon it, whatever word you want to use, but not let it keep wounding you, you know, keep hearing those words over and over again. Mm-hmm. And what I do, um, I mean, my latest book is not an advertisement. I just want to tell you something. It's called The Art of Healing because I okay. learned how important drawings were. I'd go into a school, have third graders, draw your home and family, and then I would make comments about each drawing for, and give it to the teacher. And they'd say, how the mm-hmm. hell did you know that? Um, mm-hmm. Well, it's in the drawing. You know, and I have to say, 80% of the drawings, it's not a family. Everybody's all over the place. And, and so, <laughs> yeah. you know, I mean, it's not a togetherness. They're not standing together, arms around each other, or sitting in the yard or at the kitchen table together. They're all in different rooms all over. Now, why I like that is I can hand that to a parent and say, look how your child feels. And I want to use two examples in the book. One was a child with cancer who said, I don't get enough time for my family. I said, draw a picture of your family. Of course, the family, oh, no, we spend a lot of time with her. We know she's sick. Uh, What's the picture? There's a sofa. Three siblings and parents are on the sofa with the parents' arms around the siblings and an empty seat at the end of the sofa. Wow. The child is sitting on a chair by herself on the other side of the picture. Mm-hmm. That, you see, the parents looked at that. Thank you. They changed everything at home and, mm-hmm. and, and thanked me many times over the next few years. Sure. The other was a child who said, the kids are teasing me in the locker room in the gym about my body. I said, look, I can fix that for you. But what I want you to do is draw a picture of yourself in the operating room. He and... I give them all a full box of crayons. Mm-hmm. He picked up the black crayon oh. and drew a, like an insect on the operating table. See? And I said mm-hmm. to the parents, 
look, I'll fix his body, but he needs your love if he's mm-hmm. going to feel good about himself. You see, and and that's what, in a sense, I saw in my life. You know, what gave me permission to be mm-hmm. different, be criticized, be on famous talk shows with other doctors yelling at me, mm-hmm. and because mm-hmm. my parents loved me and my wife loved me as I yeah. grew up. So I could go home. Yeah, what's it? Robert Frost, this lovely line. Home is a place that when you go there, they have to take you in. Oh, See, and oh. if a child feels that secure, you can be different out in the street and in the world. And you can go home and they still love you. You know, uh-huh. even though you're yeah. different, they give you that freedom. And you I know, Bert. You know, Bernie, you write about uh, that just say no, but then I like what your thoughts are. You say just say yes to love. And isn't this an important message for our families yes. to have? See, there was a child, I was making rounds at the hospital, a child with cancer uh, who was very likely close to death. And I walked into his room, and both parents were in the crib with the child. Mm-hmm. The love was you could feel the love in the room. Mm-hmm. So I wrote a note, your child is so fortunate. And then I leave. And then I walk on down the hall, I think, hey, stupid, that child is dying. You yeah. leave a note, how fortunate. So I go running back to get my note, and the parents had awakened and seen it. And I said, I'm sorry. that They said, what are you sorry about? We mm-hmm. know what you're talking about, mm-hmm. you know, that, mm-hmm. that this child has our love. And I learned that as a surgeon. I did a lot of children's surgery. The children who were loved, they got, see, if you said draw yourself in the operating room, it was a beautiful place to go. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't a problem. The kids who weren't loved, it's a horror. Why? My parents are bringing me here to have me caught up and punished. I mean it. That's what these kids were thinking. Um, and it didn't matter what the surgery was for. I mean, as far as they were concerned, it's about my being punished. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, I operated on one of our children. See, when I was learning, we have five, how to be a parent and a better surgeon. He had a hernia. And so mm-hmm. I said, you know, we'll get you to the hospital. We'll take care of it. And I showed him the hospital, the operating room, everything, everybody. You know, I'm trying to be helping him so he won't feel scared and know everybody. He woke up in the recovery room, and I'm standing next to him, and he looked up. He said, Dad. What is it, Keith? You didn't tell me it was going to hurt. Now, you see, that broke my heart because I hadn't had the surgery. You know what I mean? So yeah. I, I was what I call a tourist, not a native. Yeah. And yeah. I was into all the technical. And let me, let me add one more thing about the future and about what you need from parents, the same uh-huh. child. He told me his leg hurt. I said, take a hot bath. And after a week or two... He said, I need an x-ray. And he's seven years old. And I said, what do you know? You're seven years old. You probably bruised your leg. I need an x-ray. We took it, and he had a bone tumor. And now my guilt was incredible, you know. Uh Sure. Because it looked like a cancer, and I'm denying him treatment. And uh, So we see an orthopedic surgeon, and he takes him, you know, into surgery. And I figured he'll have his leg amputated and blah, blah, blah. But God bless, fortunately, it turned out to be a benign, a rare benign tumor. Mm-hmm. But let me say this. After he had the x-ray, I mean, what I was picturing was amputated legs, dying sure. of a sarcoma, and, and 
you know, I told all the five of the kids, I said, look, go to your room and just be quiet. You know, your brother will probably be dead in a year. And uh, I gave them this nice depressing talk and told them to go and be <laughs> depressed. Yeah. The next morning, Keith, age seven, comes into my room. Dad, what is it, Keith? Can I talk to you for a minute? Well, of course, sure. What is it? You're handling this poorly. Uh-huh. That's from a seven-year-old telling me I'm handling it poorly. I said, well, what is it? He said, we're trying to have a nice day, and you want us depressed in our room. We want to go out in the yard and play. We don't want to sit in our room depressed. And, I mean, he taught me so much in about ten minutes, mm-hmm. you know, about life. Mm-hmm. and living and experience the joy and the love and stop worrying about what will be next year. As I said, fortunately, he had that rare benign tumor, So, but uh, the pressure and, and just, you know, the guilt you feel as a parent and all those yeah. things that you can't help. Uh, you get smarter as you get older. And I think also <laughs> why, you know, think about this. Why do we call our children's children grand and the children's children's children great grand. You ever stop and think about that? No. It's really because it's it's what we have learned. When you become a grandparent, you you're not judging, you're loving. Oh absolutely. I mean I've watched our children being born and as a pediatric surgeon, I said to the nurses, I need to examine him please and they looked at me, This is your kid. You want to examine him? Why aren't you loving him? Well, I have to be sure everything's, you know, yeah. right and in the right mm-hmm. place and the right organs. And, you know, when your great-grandchild is born no. and you're there, <laughs> you don't say, let me have him and examine him. You pick him up and you give and him love. your love like right. my grandmother did for me. Absolutely. And I think that's what parents need to remember. They need oh, ab- your love. If they have your love, they will survive anything. And I call it also mottos to live by. You know, mm-hmm. do what makes you happy. Mm-hmm. Troubles, God is redirecting you. Something good will come of this. Material things are to make it a better world, not to accumulate, to impress the neighbors. And my father's father died of tuberculosis when he was 12. Their family was devastated. They had no insurance, six kids, no money. But what did he say as an adult? That was one of the best things ever happened to me. Oh, my God. I said, what are you talking about? He said, yeah. he taught me what was important about life. Oh, right. And I say to people, keep asking yourself, what am I to learn from this experience? Mm-hmm. And I mean it. You can be going through hell, but say, what am I to learn from this? And really, you know why I keep saying love is the answer. What do you learn? You need to be compassionate. You need to be loving. Mm-hmm. You know, you, as a doctor, I know I can't cure everything, but, but I could right. love. Love can cure so much. You know, we're going to take a break and hear from one of my sponsors. And when we come back with Bernie, we're going to talk about tickling the funny bone. And we're going to talk about the part humor plays in our lives with our children and how it gets us through the dark days. We'll be right back with Bernie Siegel. What is AATH? The Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor is a nonprofit, member driven international community of humor and laughter professionals and enthusiasts. AATH provides its members the education, cutting edge resources, and supportive community they need to excel in the practice and promotion of healthy humor. 
AATH welcomes anyone who is interested in learning more about the application and benefits of therapeutic humor. Members include scholars, psychologists, counselors, nurses, social workers, physicians, educators, clergy, hospital clowns, and many others who incorporate humor in their life and work. AATH was created to disseminate information about humor and laughter, laughter play in well-being, Provide a caring, supportive community of humor professionals and enthusiasts. Check out our AATH at www.aath.org today. Welcome back with my guest, Bernie Siegel. And we're going to talk about part three in his fantastic book, Love, Magic, and Mud Mud Pies. Part three is called Tickling the Funny Bone childlike humor and i love this quote from mark twain humor is the great thing the saving thing the minute it crops up all of our irritation and resentment slip away and a sunny spirit takes their place and you know bernie you and i both have lived long enough to know how important humor is right in our life and in our relationship with our children uh teaching our children to find the humor in life can sometimes be difficult, can it? Well, it, it's, in a sense, get, letting them feel free to be humorous. Uh-huh. And um, I'm what I call a multiple personality. Uh, there's a kid in me who does crazy things. Uh-huh. You see, if, if people, I mean, even a lawyer sends me a contract with those stickers that say, sign here. I write <laughs> here and send it back. When I go into a pizza place, I ask if my Chinese food order is ready. Now, one, I mean, I've kept this up and drives, you know, the uh, waitresses don't know me. The owner by now does. Uh Um, But one day when I walked in and I said, is my Chinese food ready? Because usually the, you know, the waitresses will say, I'm sorry, you're in the wrong restaurant. Yeah. (laughs) They had Chinese food waiting for me because the boss knew if I called up for a pickup order, I would come in and say, is my Chinese food ready? So they had Chinese <laughs> food on the counter, and the whole restaurant is hysterical. See? And, and you can't be afraid also when you laugh. I mean, cancer uh-huh. patients who laugh for no apparent reason live longer than a control group who didn't laugh several times a day for no reason. And okay. I would say to anybody listening, laugh for a few minutes. Watch how good you feel. Uh-huh. So, see, the other thing it does literally is free your children. You know, I mean, I would embarrass them in restaurants, as I said. You know, when you're in the Chinese restaurant, you order Italian food. always saying, how's everything? And I'd say, did you read the paper? Have you watched the news? Why are you upsetting me when I'm trying to eat? <laughs> you know, and they'd look at you like, well, what's the matter with him? You know, and, and the kids, oh. So they stopped eating out with us. You know, I'd say, uh-huh. hey, Mom and I are going out for dinner. We'll eat what's in the refrigerator. They didn't want to be embarrassed and save me money. But here's the benefit of it. Uh-huh. Years later, and, and again, I don't make up any of these stories. One of them came home from work. Hey, Dad, thanks. Why? Oh, I did something crazy at work. Didn't have any problem because I heard people saying, well, you know who his father is? <laughs> and the same thing happened at school. You know, he did something at school that was nuts and upset the teacher, but all the teacher said was, well, you know who his father is. Um. So they didn't punish him or do anything. And, uh, you know, that's, it's like, well, it's his genes. What are you going to do? And I always say embarrass your children regularly. 
Oh, absolutely. Um, I... it, it just gives them freedom, you know, yeah. to be different and be unique um, and not I think worry. It's a, you know, I think it's important to establish yourself as being a character because once you're a character, yes. then you take on a persona. I know my husband has done a magnificent job of becoming a character with all of our kids and grandkids. And I, I love what you write about uh, schedule laughing sessions. You know, mm. I did a show this week with uh, Jeffrey Breyer, and he is with AATH, and he has laughter yoga. And yep. this is the oh, most. Oh, that is wonderful fantastic experience because everyone gets together and you just laugh and it's the most liberating thing I've ever experienced and I think it's important for people to learn how to laugh at themselves don't you agree Bernie yeah I mean I have attended a laughter yoga class and it impressed Uh the hell out of me yeah I I was so out of control laughing (laughs) I couldn't stop even when I wanted to I mean, it, it was, it really impressed me to have that experience. I know. Of just being it? totally out of control, but having a wonderful time. Yeah. And I think, again, it's to let the children know also that if they're doing something for the right reasons, the uh-huh. audience isn't the issue. You know what I mean? If the audience doesn't laugh or doesn't appreciate you, hey, you gave it your best shot, you know? Uh-huh. Yeah. So it, it, you don't keep judging yourself by how others react. It's, again, what feels right for you and to do this. And the other about being a character, that's something I'm always telling people when they go to the hospital. You Mm -hmm. don't want to be a room number or a Mm -hmm. disease. I mean, you're more Mm -hmm. likely to have a medical error and die in the hospital. But (laughs) if you're the character, like one woman, everybody called her grandma. And and Uh her daughter wrote me about her. She said, my mother's in the hospital and the nurses are beginning to look sick. You know, because she drove everybody crazy. She fell in love with her doctor and didn't want to be discharged because uh-huh. she wanted to see him every day. I mean, <laughs> you know, she became family to everybody in the hospital. Uh-huh. Oh, and let me, let me, oh, boy, I'm remembering all these stories. One of yeah. my kids, I mean, they're all bright, but one of them, he just, on a vacation, he didn't like sitting home. He liked doing something. So I used sure. to take him to the hospital with me. Uh-huh. And I'd, you know, leave him in the operating room, dress him in a scrub suit, um, and leave him in the operating room because he learned his way around. You know, he might have uh-huh. been 10 or, you know, so. And, and he could run errands for the nurses and do things. The chief of surgery called me. He said, Bernie, I need to meet you in the operating room. I said, fine, I'll see you in a few minutes. Uh-huh. We go down there, and he steps out of the locker room with me and says, look, this is no place for a child. It is not appropriate to have a child in the operating room. Uh-huh. I said, John, wait a minute, would you? Just watch. A patient is wheeled in on the uh-huh. gurney, you know, with the chart. On, and uh-huh. Stephen would run out behind the desk and run up to the patient. Now, picture yourself coming into the operating room, fearful, you're going to have surgery, and this kid runs up who's only as high as the stretcher yeah. you're on and right. takes your chart. Well, people would get this panic in that, like, what? He's not going to operate, is he? You know? And then they'd realize, wait a minute, wait a minute. He's just here helping. He's a kid. And they'd burst out laughing. Uh-huh. And I gave the chief of surgery such credit because he turned around and walked away. Uh-huh. He never uh-huh. criticized it again. Uh-huh. And that's the part, again, you know, that when people laugh, everybody's healed. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've had patients who were in such a panic. They were saying, oh, thank God all you wonderful people are going to take care of me. 
I said to her, hey, I've worked with them for years. They're not wonderful people. And then everybody <laughs> bursts out laughing, and we were family. See, that's what the laughter does. It makes you a family, that oh, childlike sure. you know, sense of humor. And to see it go into your kids is, is wonderful. And, you know, I see it in their comments, emails, and different things. And with it, I have to add, comes a reverence for life. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. I have been, I mean, our house used to be, the way I describe it is a zoo. See, because if, and I say that because we were rescuing animals. Veterinarians would give us exotic pets people didn't want. I mean, we had a front yard with goats and ducks and geese and a house full of, uh, mm-hmm. I won't even mention it. But, um, and we were never reported for breaking zoning laws. I mean, we had skunks, squirrels, all kinds of crazy creatures, you know. And I would call the police sometimes because I couldn't find them. And they never reported me as doing anything wrong because they knew it was all out of love. And the kids yeah. grew up with the reverence for life. For life. I mean, yeah. when you have a child who emails you and says, I found a turtle and I spent half an hour finding a pond for it. Yeah. I mean, he spent a half an hour of his day to save a turtle's life. I pick up worms thinking I'm nuts to put them back on the earth. And I found out Schweitzer did the same thing. After a rainstorm, he said, if you see a worm, put it back on the well, ground. Well, you know, I have to tell you, Bernie, since I've had you on the show, guess what I do? I do the same thing now, and uh, you've influenced me in a big way. Good. You know, we're going to take a break and hear from my sponsor. And when we come back, before we end the show... I want to talk with you, Bernie, about teenagers and Mm. how to spy on teenagers. We'll be right back with Bernie Siegel. Are you a fitness professional, a trainer, or a coach? Would you like consistent and timely updates on your team's performance? We have a completely customizable app that can give you real-time information via the Internet or your handheld phone. Track the performance of your client's progress with their physical fitness regimen. Track team members' performance or schedule a workout session. Meet up at the gym, on the bike trail, or wherever your physical activities take you. The app is called Socially Fit or SoFit and can be found on the iTunes Store. Look for the blue Socially Fit icon. When combined with data analysis capabilities, you not only feel the effects of your fitness routine, you also see the graphical progress of your results. The app makes the complex simple. So the more of your time is spent sculpting your physique, the less time tracking your results with old-fashioned pen and paper. Download it today to begin a new year with data to show your progress in meeting your goals. Are you socially fit? I hope everyone out there is socially fit. If not, I hope you will become socially fit this year. That is my intention. I'm back with uh, Bernie Siegel, and we're going to talk about teenagers. And it's such an interesting world nowadays with all of them out there with their cell phones and texting. Oh, God. How do we keep track of them? I really, it breaks my heart. I mean, I happen to be walking our dogs when the teenager neighbor's Mm -hmm. son just yeah. got off the bus. You know, I'm looking at him. He didn't even raise his head to look at me or the dogs to uh-huh. say hello. He's yeah. busy with, you know, the thing in his hand. And uh, that, it's just, I don't know what it's going to do to our society. Because, yeah. you see, what we know is, uh, you know, I mentioned all the pets. Relationships keep people alive. And, mm-hmm. I mean, you can have a dog and you will survive 
I mean, uh, let me put it this way. The death rate is five times higher after a heart attack in a house without a dog than it is in a house with a dog. Really? If you have a cat, you're less likely to have a heart attack. And wow. If you have a dog, your blood pressure goes down more, on, uh-huh. you know, on the same medication as somebody who doesn't have a dog. So, uh-huh. you know, it, it's it's living things. When children, again, have a relationship with other things, they feel significant and important. And it doesn't, you know, it could be a goldfish that your child takes care of. But it's to know that something depends on them. And a lot of smart teachers have things in their classroom that the kids take care of and on vacations take home mm-hmm. with them because mm-hmm. it, it gives the kid a, a sense of meaning. And that's the important part, that, that there's meaning. And the other is, uh, you know, when I get back to do what makes you happy, one of our mm-hmm. kids, has, that one I named, mentioned, Stephen, he, you know, who's in the hospital, he had an IQ like of 150 or something. It's way up there in the Mensa group. And mm-hmm. the teachers would always tell me, oh, he's so smart, he's so smart. That didn't mean he got A's, but... They were always <laughs> with him. You know, I mean, what interested them, they did well in. But uh, one day sure. he said to me, Dad, because uh, he always was making models, he said, I want to go to automotive and diesel school. And I thought, oh, my God, here's a kid with an IQ of 150 is going to go be a mechanic. Uh-huh. But, uh, you see, he's the third kid. If he was the first kid, I would have said, no, you're not. You're going to college and you're, you're you know. Uh-huh. But I said, fine, that's what makes you happy. Go ahead. Well, after finishing automotive and diesel school, he got interested in law enforcement and went back to college and into law school and is an FBI agent now and and restores cars though. I mean, mm-hmm. we still I still have my parents' cars that are over 50 years old um, that he has restored. So it's become a hobby. Even made him some money when he was a kid um, years ago. Um, but again, you know, he had the freedom to live his life. Mm-hmm. Our oldest one said to me. How come uh, they don't have to do what I had to do? Yeah. And yeah. I said, well, I learned that what I asked you to do wasn't important. Um, uh, uh-huh. And I mean it. I mean, he was honest enough to hear that and, and accept it. And I may add, to think about this, because when you have five kids, the one who's driving you crazy gets a bedroom off the kitchen so you know what's going on all the time. (laughs) The little angel, you know, the boy I mentioned, Keith, with the tumor, he had a bedroom at the end of the hall. Because if he Uh shut his door, I wasn't worried what the hell was going on in there. Um, And he came to me one day. This is where I give him great credit for. He said, Dad, what? I'm not getting as much love as the other children. I said, what are you talking about? He said, you have five children. I should get 20%. Of your <laughs> I said, your brother's driving us crazy. He gets 40%. But, you know, he came to me, you see, and said it. I have other children who draw a picture of their family, and Mama has only two drinks on a tray to give her brother and her father and none for her. Uh-huh. You know, so her memories, what's stored in her, that she wasn't treated like the others. Now, maybe uh-huh. if she'd said something to her mother, you know, it could have changed. And I, I just felt that his coming up, you see, instead of sitting in his room with the door shut saying they don't love me, he came out and made noise mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. understood we do love you. But, you know, there's a limited amount of time that we have. So they learned. And I also learned to have what I called family night. Because yes. the kids were mad at me for being a doctor. Uh-huh. Why would you be mad your father's a doctor? Because he's on call, so we can't do things. Because if he gets a call, he has to go to the emergency room, so you can't go out, you know, and uh-huh. have a party or do something. 
Well, one night I came home. I said, hey, I'm off tonight. And they were all leaving. I said, wait a minute. Where are you going? Well, we're going <laughs> roller skating. I said, you have a right to go roller skating when I'm home? Then I have a right to be a doctor when you're home. Uh-huh. Oh. And, you know, I, I got them to understand that the rules apply to both of us. So Absolutely. we created family nights where we all went roller skating, and it was loads of fun. But, yeah. you know, certain Thursday nights, family night. And you spent that kind of time, and then you have those memories. And I also put a pool in a first house in the backyard. So uh-huh. if I was on call, the neighbors and everybody could come over to our house and play and have fun yeah. there. You right. know, versus joining a country club and then having to leave and all that stuff. So I could be home, answer the phone. You know, it was before all the modern yeah. appliances. You had to be near the phone. Um, you know, and- you know, Bernie, I love what you write about exaggerate to celebrate. Mm-hmm. And you write that exaggerate any part of the situation and things will lighten up. And isn't that so true if yeah. we can go over the top with things that uh, will become humorous for our entire family? Yeah, that's why I often call it paradox. You know, it's like <laughs> if somebody says, I was told I'll be dead in two weeks, and I said, eh, it looks like, more like a week to me. And they look at you like, you know, and, and, then, and then they smile because, uh-huh. hey, maybe it won't be. T- well, Woody Allen said it very well. One guy is totally depressed, and his friend says, what are you doing Saturday night? He said, I'm committing suicide. He said, well, how about Friday night? You know, and so you live the Friday night, if you know what I mean. And then you might decide, you know, that was so much fun. Help us fall into suicide. Let's just go have a good time. Yeah. But it's giving each child their uniqueness. Yes. And and their ability to be who they want to be. And and the other is listening. Um, Because you mentioned, how do you help? See, I used to test this with patients and with the kids. Dan, I got a problem. Okay, read this book. Go see this person. Talk to this fellow. They'd say, you're no help. Dad, I got a problem. What is it? Hmm. Oh, my. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh. And they'd say, thank you. You've been so helpful. It was a Mm -hmm. great conversation. And I haven't Mm -hmm. said anything but "Mm." (laughs) hmm. So if you listen to not only your children but other people, you know, with problems, they then hear themselves, if you know what Uh I mean. See, they go on talking and talking, and then they realize, ah, I know what I need to do. Uh It becomes clear to them. But you get credit for being their therapist because if you hadn't listened, it never would have happened. And I mean it. I learned it from Helen Keller. I mean, imagine, hey, you talk about children. You're deaf and blind from the age, I think, of four. But she Uh said deafness is darker by far than blindness. So Uh I learned from her to listen to people. You know, that's what made the communication and helped them to know themselves. Oh, Bernie, that is such wonderful advice. I think we all need to just sit back and take a breath and listen, and it will help everyone solve their own problems on their own. You know, I want to uh, be sure all my listeners know your website and how they can get your books. Could you share that Uh, information? The website is a simple one. It's Bernie uh-huh. Siegel, S-I-E-G-E-L-M-D.com. Uh-huh. Okay. So Bernie Siegel, MD.com. And actually, through the website, there are many articles to read, uh-huh. even a webinar right. with my drawings, lots of comments, and you can order all the books and CDs there. Okay. One of our children has um, a store called Wisdom of the Ages. He often helps me by bringing books and CDs, and you could order through them. And I always say, if you 
tell them your family, you'll get a discount. Okay, well, I will them, do that. Yeah, the father said, uh, your family. They'll know. That's our code. Um, and, and, you know, because they're helping me to help sure. people, and uh, it, and they feel, you know, good about doing it. Oh, it doesn't get any better than that. And your latest book, The Art of Healing, just mm. came out, and we want to promote that. And I hope oh, yeah. you will come back and talk I about will. The Art of Healing with me again. Let uh, me just quickly recommend to people, leave crayons uh, around and yeah, tell your children to draw. to draw the home and family. You yeah. want to put it on the refrigerator. See, okay. Then you're not saying, you know, they don't know you're using it therapeutically, but then you mm-hmm. look at it and uh, you know what it is they may be needing or missing uh, and can do it. Wonderful. That's wonderful advice. Thank you so much, Bernie Siegel, and we'll have you back again very soon. All right. Bless you, January. To my wonderful listeners, we hope you've enjoyed our show today with Bernie. Isn't he wonderful? My upcoming guests for the rest of the week are all just like Bernie, exciting, eclectic, and energizing. They will amuse, amaze, and they will astonish you. This is a show where you hear inspiring information that will help you to become successful, too. I would love to welcome you to our wonderful no-whining world. We love sharing our stories, our struggles, and our secrets for success. It's our hope we can encourage all of you to emulate our guests today and every day. Now, remember my mantra. If you think it, then you can do it. So for now, dear friends, please stop with the whining and then start smiling and then start sharing our show with everyone you know. And if that doesn't work, then start eating chocolate, lots and lots of chocolate. Remember, you heard it here from January Jones. Chocolate is the new broccoli. Again, thank you to my wonderful guest, my dear friend, Bernie Siegel. This is January Jones thanking you for joining me today on my journey and reminding you to take care and stay safe. We want to thank you for listening to January Jones Sharing Success Stories. Always remember Ms. Jones' personal mantra, if you can think it, you can do it. That's what all of our guests have done with their lives, and so can you. You are the ultimate success coach in your own life. All you need to do will be to start sharing your own story with your family and friends. We hope that our guest stories will encourage you to explore an equation in your future that will combine your creativity, plus connecting with others will enable you to be successful too. Always remember, your passion plus your purpose will equal prosperity as you explore the wonderful world of January Jones.
All right, Ginger, just relax. I'm going to sit down and then I'll get your breakfast. Just let me rest.